For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of rule and authority. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, I'm humbled uh, of all things that that you've shown me during my time of study, and I pray that you allow me to, to present it to my brothers and sisters here in a clear manner. Lord, I ask that you, uh, you open our eyes, our hearts, and our ears to your word, and that uh, we're encouraged by it, and that we live by it as well. Uh, we ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so like I said last time, this is kind of a continuation from the, the ending of chapter 1. He, uh, Paul continues uh, about his suffering. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. And you can't help but question, what benefit does Paul get from being locked up and doing so much for the church? He doesn't, he's never seen these guys before, and he's suffering because of them. What benefit does he have? Or, or, or what could drive a man to that extent of love um, to, to be willing to suffer and struggle so much for Christians? And you've got to wonder, are, are we that way? Do we reflect that kind of character and that kind of love? He heard about uh, the Colossians to, what's his name again? Epaphras. Um, and uh, so if, just really quickly, just go to a page before, chapter 1, uh, verse 3. Uh, chapter 1, verse 3. So he says, uh, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have, that you have for the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard of it, you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So so Paul was overjoyed. And again in chapter 2, verse 5, says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, can you just imagine that? Do you guys ever feel that kind of joy when you hear about people that you don't know about? What about when a Christian says, Hey, yeah, I go, I go to church. What church do you go to? Ah, oh, Sovereign Grace. It's suddenly like, Oh, really? I always hear Valley Bible or something. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you can, you can, although you don't really know them, you're just rejoicing that they're going to a church of good order and a good teaching, right? Um... And I think recently we kind of experienced that at our church. If you guys remember on Wednesday, after Valentine preached his sermon, and they're about to close, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Uh, I want, I want, I have a praise report. 
there's a new family. They've been going there for two years. They're finally they're, they're members now. They're going to be members. And eyebrows in the back, looking at everyone. Everyone just had a big smile on their face and start clapping. You know, and, and it kind of gave me goosebumps a little bit because we don't know that family yet. We're rejoicing over them. So we, we kind of we kind of relate to Paul in this in this kind of way, right? We know that Paul was so moved, so encouraged that he wrote this letter in prison uh, while in Rome. He was miles away, yet he kind of wrote to them as if he knew them all their lives. <clears throat> so. So what can drive a mere man like Paul to struggle, totally and even suffer for those whom he's never met or fi- that he's never met face to face? I believe the answer is love and truth. And it sounds clicheish, you know, we hear that a lot. We hear that a lot in today's uh, culture. It's all about love, but we don't hear that last part, truth, right? So we're going to go over that. Um, so let's go to verse uh, chapter two, verse two. So he writes. Um, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. So um, obviously Paul wouldn't be hypocritical and say to love if he doesn't love. He's obviously he obviously loves them enough to write to them, right? Um, but what other examples do we see from Paul and how he loves? Um, I think last last time I met I met with you guys, I talked about uh, in Second Timothy how Paul he's talking about how he's in chains and he's suffering, but he he does everything for the sake of the elect. So that's another example. Um, we know by tradition that he died for his faith. Um, I think something that's pretty interesting is that word that he uses for struggle. Uh, does anyone have a, a Bible translation that says uh, conflict? I have the ESV. Uh, um, verse 1. When you, when you, when that word for struggle, yours says conflict? Okay, so it's, it's kind of crazy that, that I, I, it's random. I didn't want to look it up. But I did, and that word conflict is different than struggle. It's a, it, it actually it's used in lexicon. It's used to describe uh, Greek games when people would fight against each other, or uh, or there's two teams opposing each other. How there's a conflict going on, and and that's the word that he uses. So in a sense, he's fighting for the church of Colossae. Um, and that, that to me is just crazy. It's just crazy that he's fighting. Doesn't even know these guys, and he's fighting for them. Um, so that's a demonstration of his love that he has. Um, and, we, and, and from last time, too, we learned about how um, he says right here in uh, chapter 1. You guys have to go there. I'll read it to you guys. In chapter 1, verse uh, verse 28, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ or perfect in Christ. He was eternally minded and he was driven by love. Um, Paul was locked up in prison miles away, but he, he was so unified. He was so unified. There was no distance that mattered. He still loved them regardless. Uh, so some practical, some practical uh, verses that we have. One I love, and we, we've heard it before, is Hebrews chapter 10. If you guys want to go there, you guys can. Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we, have, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through, through the curtain, that is, through, the, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart and full, of, and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from uh, an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful here 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the day more as you see the day, uh, and all the more as you see the day approaching or drawing near. So, based off that verse, he want, uh, the author of Hebrews wants us to consider how to love people and how to stir them up. There's different ways we could do that. Uh, we know some people love, uh, for example, food. You know, invite them over for dinner. I mean, there's so many, there's so many ways to love each other. Um, but one, I think, one major way is not forsaking the fellowship. Um, I, I never understood how someone claimed to be a Christian and not go to church. I just never understood that. Uh, and yet, I met Christians who are so into theology, so into evangelism, but do not go to church. Um, then there's some Christians who, um, I mean, I, I was in this phase for a while where I'd miss Sundays a lot. I don't know why; I just it wasn't that important to me. But I still would want to fellowship during the week. But I would miss that important fe- day of fellowship. And I think it was you that said it years ago. Uh, I think you quoted someone. You said that Sunday is the closest we get to heaven because that's when all the saints worship together, like it would be in heaven. And uh, so. So one way to love each other, one way to love each other is to not forsake the fellowship. Uh, I, th- I think another another good point about that passage was um, uh, I can't remember if it was like I said I can't remember who tells me these things. I just remember the, the quote. But uh, the, the author of Hebrews wrote this about two thousand years ago. Okay, so these Christians were expecting Christ to come back. Uh, we're we're two thousand years closer to that day. So that means we should even we should we should not forsake the gathering even more. He says right here. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching or drawing near, that should. So the fact that Christ is coming back should drive us to fellowship more and to be together. Um, so that's another good point. Another practical verse that I have is in First John chapter three. Yeah, it's got like 30 minutes. Alright, sorry. So, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Again, another passage that's uh, that's great to read and great to recite, and it's quoted a lot. But um, but I wonder how we convince ourselves that we love that way. Have you guys ever thought about it? Do I love in this kind of way? Am I willing to die for someone? Am I am I willing to die for my brother or my sister? Um, we want to say yes. Yeah, of course we would, but. How about those brothers and sisters that, that whenever we talk about them, we always gossip about them or we always sin against them? We know we all have the, we all have brothers and sisters that are hard to hang out with, hard to deal with, and uh, whenever we talk about them, it's always something bad. It's something bad. We don't want to hang out with them. We we kind of push them to the side. Um, I, I, we don't we, even if they don't go to do our even if they don't go to our church. There's there's people that want to hang out with us and want to fellowship with us, but we just don't like to. Uh, and somehow we convince ourselves that we would have died for them. So uh, one one great example that I have is Christ. He died for those who hated him. So we should do the same. Those who are hard to love, let's love them anyway. Um, I think another good point about that verse was when he's ta- at the very end, uh, verse 18. 
Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed and in truth. I think one way to do this, uh, a practical way that we could do this all the time, is um, even through confession. When, like I think someone said earlier that we should be able to confess our sins to one another and be open with one another. Uh, last time we met up, I asked a question, and I asked, uh, you know, what are you guys going through? And the only one that spoke was, was our brother John here, and he shared something so deep and so personal, and I was blown away how open he was. And yet we prayed for him. We got together, we prayed. I thought about him since then. Every, almost every day I pray about this guy, about what he's going through. But yeah, it took him to get out of his comfort zone and confess what's going on. And, and it might, might have been a little bit humiliating for you to share that, but we pre- the, that was encouraging for me to hear. Um, and I'm just surprised. How come no one else shared anything? How come that was, that was a good opportunity to open up and confess your sins? Um, and, and I know this wisdom involved. We probably shouldn't say things in front of other women or other guys and, you know, meet up with another brother or sister. But when was the last time you actually confided in someone to talk to them about your sin? Um, so th- these are just ways on how we are being it together in love. And uh, the title, I, th- I think I told you guys already. Huh? Maybe I didn't. But the title of this study, I called it um, The Bond of Holy Unity. And I'm going to explain a little bit why I titled, I titled it that way. The Bond of Holy Unity. So that's one bond, is love, right? The next bond is truth. If we continue in verse 2, and I promise you guys, it's not going to go this slow the whole time. Just the first two verses are going to go, take up most of our time. <clears throat> if we continue reading in chapter 2, uh, verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So Christ is the truth. This God, God's mystery, the truth, is Christ. Uh, last, last time we talked about how John Calvin had a threefold way of explaining it. It was basically how God operates in a new covenant uh, through the gospel and through Christ. Okay? Uh, so that's the mystery that Paul always talks about. Um, in verse 3, it says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Have you guys ever wondered, just out of curiosity, why, why are they hidden? Uh, we, we read that a lot. Paul says that a lot, that, there, that, there's, that there's these uh, hidden treasures in Christ. But have you ever wondered why? And um, through reading uh, Calvin's commentary on this, he says this, They are not glittering with great splendor. But do rather, as it were, lie hid under the the contemptible, and abas- and abasement, uh, sorry, abasement and simplicity of the cross. When we look at the cross, we don't see something great and wonderful. We see a man defeated and humiliated, spit on, um, abused, and and tortured. We see defeat when we look at the cross, and that's probably why when we preach the cross, it comes off as foolishness. Um, and for, we read that in First uh, Corinthians uh, one eighteen, right? how the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the world. So maybe that's why. And, and um, I, I didn't study too much in that topic, but I think that was kind of cool how John Calvin shed some light on that for me. So perhaps it's because they're in, um, these treasures that are hidden in Christ are kind of hid behind the cross. And... Uh, and in verse 3, let me see. Yeah, in verse 3 it says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, sorry, give me one second. See. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, being it together in love uh, to reach all the riches of full, insur- of, full, of full assurance 
of understanding and the knowledge of Christ, or God's mystery, which is Christ. So Paul is basically saying that all your knowledge, perfect and full knowledge and wisdom, is found in Christ. That means Christ, knowing Christ is sufficient. Again, do we really, I, I like how, how I'm, I'm using this over and over again because I love how Isaiah did this. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that knowing Christ is sufficient? Um, un- unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to just share a little bit about this. In the next several weeks, we're going to talk about apologetics, so I'm going to talk about this right now. There are some well, there, there are some, um, there, there are Christians out there who I respect personally, who I believe abandoned this. Um, they probably wouldn't say that, but I think they did. By saying that, for example, a creation. We see that in the Bible that creation is six literal days. Man was created on the sixth day. Yet we have Christians that have been influenced outside the Bible who believe that, no, creation is actually billions of years. So instead of saying one day, they're actually saying that one day actually actually means one long period of time. So they believe in evolution. Um, that right there is not... You cannot say that, that Christ is sufficient and His truth is sufficient and say that at the same time. Um, again, I think it's a, second, it's a secondary issue. I don't think that's, uh, that's worthy of dividing over or calling someone a heretic, but I, I think that is troubling. Um, John Calvin says that it would be madness to desire anything else besides Christ. That's how we should think. To not know Christ is complete chaos and madness. Uh, in First John, uh, you guys have to go there, but I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you really quick. First John chapter 3, continuing what we read last time, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if, sorry. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever, we may, and whatever we may ask, we receive, because we keep his commandments and do, what, and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. So if we love God, we'll, we'll keep his word, and, and we'll, we'll die by it. Um, I think a, a great quote, and again, uh, just so you guys don't forget, we're talking about the bond of unity here, okay? So it's love and truth. A great, a great quote by Calvin on his commentary. I'll read it really quick. It says this. This he declares they will, they will at length come to enjoy in the event of their being united in love and faith. From this, is, from this it appears where their chief good is and in what things it consists. Right here. When mutually agreed in one faith, we are also joined together in mutual love. This, I say, is the solid joy of the pious mind. This is the blessed life. As, however, love is here commended uh, from its effect because it fills the mind of the pious uh, with true joy, so, on the other hand, the cause of it is pointed out by him, by Paul, when he says, in all fullness of understanding. The bond also of holy unity is the truth of God. When we embrace it with one consent, for peace and agreement with men flow forth from that fountain. Which is why I title this, the bond of holy unity. Uh, I, I think Calvin, uh, we can end it right there. And it's, it's, I mean, we can just explore what he said in that, in that little paragraph. Um, and by the way, if you guys want this, uh, you guys could have it afterwards. But I only have one copy, though. Um, but uh, So, yeah, so, so the, the way to be unified and, and to, to be in true fellowship is through love and truth. The Colossians were going through something that was 
almost dividing them. They're being told so many false doctrines, and we'll go over that in just a bit. But uh, the next question is this. Uh, why does Paul say all this? Let's read, uh, go back to chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So why did Paul say all this? Why is Paul laying this out? The answer is in verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Have you guys ever heard of a plausible argument before? An argument is so convincing that you just want to start clapping. <laughs> um, I've, been in many, I've been in many situations where I'm in a discussion with someone, I'm mainly in high school, uh, and we're debating back and forth, and because she was so much louder than me, a girl, too, a half-solid girl, she was so much louder and just overpowering my voice, people thought she was winning the argument. And I'm like, no, she's not winning. Listen to what we're saying. But, uh, but she was crafting and how she was arguing, and she made me look like, like a fool. I didn't know what I was talking about. And, um, and she was denying the Trinity and salvation by grace through faith. And uh, those are essentials to the, uh, to the Bible, right? So, um, so, so, many t- so you couldn't imagine what they were experiencing. These guys were coming to the church. Um, we're going to learn that some of them were, like, were trying to bring Jewish customs. Some were, were bringing in a Greek mythology. And these guys were smart. They were coming in with plausible arguments. And Paul is saying, Paul's reminding them of, 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 uh, of the perfect the perfect and, and, and complete full wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And somehow that's supposed to answer all that. Somehow that, they're supposed to receive that and be okay. Um, again, do we believe that? Do we actually think that just knowing Christ is enough to win any argument? Um, <clears throat> sorry, give me one second, guys. I'm not used to looking at my, t- my iPad when I do this. I'm trying to copy Isaiah now. Let's see. Um, Okay, so uh, now, now that's kind of that's kind of saying the foundation of of, of so, so just, okay. So what I'm doing now, guys, is I'm going to transition for next time for for the apologetic study. Uh, we, he, he said earlier that Bobby's going to share about the reliability of the Bible. So I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm, going, to, I'm going to somewhat transition that, but go along with what he's saying because I think that's what Paul's doing here also. Um, but before I do that, I, I have to make one comment. Um, I, if you guys don't know, I, I, the way how I came across Calvinism was through hyper-Calvinism. Okay, uh, did, did you guys know that? Did I tell you guys that already? It was, it was a form of hyper-Calvinism. Basically, what, what they taught me was that um, in order to be saved, you must know Calvinism. You must know Tulip. And if you, and if you are a Calvinist and you believe that Armenians could be saved, then you're not saved either because you believe in two Christ. You know? So these guys were going around churches and debating pastors, uh, catching them off guard and making them look fools in front of their flock. And, um, and so these are the guys that introduced me to Calvinism. And the one thing I noticed about these guys is that there's no love or hope. I asked them, I was like, hey, w- when you saw me at Chipotle, that's where they saw me with my Bible. When you saw me at Chipotle and you gave me a little pamphlet thingy, did you have hope that I was going to come to faith? And he's like, nope. I was like, did you want me to come to faith? He's like, well, yeah, but it was whatever. There was no love at all. And within two months of talking to them, I just left. So you're going to come across people that have the truth, or what seems to be the truth, but no love. And, and, and uh, it's either one of two things. Either their truth is kind of messed up, it's not really truth, or something's wrong with them. And the same thing, you might come across people that are all about love and no truth. And I'm sure you could think of a church that's like that. You know, I, I won't even mention it because we talk about it a lot. But, uh, 
But uh, but either something is wrong with their love, because if they love someone, they're gonna tell them the truth, right? But if they don't love them, if they don't love them enough to tell them the truth, then something is wrong with their view of love, or something's wrong with them. Okay, so I think Paul is going to remind the Colossians now on, on to be rooted in this truth, in this way of love. Uh, uh, verse six, six and seven. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, uh, really quickly, guys, I know we're jumping around a lot, but go to Second John, chapter one. There's only one chapter, huh? Uh, verse 4 through 8. You know, you know, I've been doing all the readings. Does someone want to read that? Sure. Okay. Oh. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as I was writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments, this is a commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such as one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourself, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Okay. So right there is pretty firm when he would believe, right? He's talking about walking in truth, but also in love. But you can also love someone and reject them if they're going to, you know, poison the church, so to speak, right? If they're going to come in and trying to kill the flock and confuse people because of your love and the truth that you have you're going to, you're going to deny them um, so back in Colossians so, so, in order, so, so what I'm saying is that to walk in Christ is to walk in truth and to, to walk in love um, but he gives to, he uses two phrases uh, rooted and built in Christ so th- there's a foundation that we talked about earlier right that Christ is sufficient the knowledge of knowing Christ is, is, is enough to battle against any any argument. Um, have you guys come across Christians who seem like they know the right stuff, and then down the road they kind of like spot off the line and go back in the world? And it's confusing because you're like, man, they knew all this stuff. How did they even, like, what caused them to, to go back and sin? Um, I met guys who used to preach, used to evangelize and be fired up and you talk about theology or whatever. They'll, they loved it. But then down the road I found out that they're in sin, they're sleeping around, um, smoking weed, they, they go all out. It's like, they, can you at least be moderate and like just not go to church? But they go all out. They, 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 they do what they want to do now. You know, now that they think that they're not submitted to Christ, that they're doing whatever they want to do. Those are the Christians that are not rooted. Okay, um, Vody Bakum, he, he he gave a good illustration in one of the marriage videos that he has. He says that when you look at a tall building, you know how strong it is by how by how deep they made it. So the deeper the building was uh, constructed, um, then the stronger it will be. It, it, it won't, won't be tossed around. So it's not so much just the foundation, but also its root, how deep it is. Same thing with, with the, even with the tree. The stronger the roots, the stronger the tree is going to be, right? 
The same thing with with us. The more we consume our mind with Christ and knowing Christ in prayer, fellowship, and all these things that the Bible talks about, we're going to be almost immovable by the grace of God. Because the Holy Spirit is, um, uh, you know, I, I start quoting scripture about um, how how we're kept in Christ, right? And how uh, how, how the Holy Spirit uh, always sanctifies us and keeps us and secures us. The Spirit guides us in all truth. And God is not a bad parent, right? He doesn't just lose his children, right? He, he takes his children to, and, and, and protects them. So, um, so, uh, so once you're rooted and built in Christ, you're, you have a solid foundation and you're really immovable by the grace of God. Um, he also talks about being established in the faith. Okay, so in verse 2, going back to verse 2, it says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being it together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That word full assurance and faith almost don't go together for some reason today. People think that our faith is blind, that we don't have that we have blind faith. It means nothing. It's uh, besides, despite all the facts, we somehow um, have to have to just believe, and that's not the case. He says full assurance. That's confidence. We have, and, and it's funny. I think I think uh, Saitan Berukate, the apologist, he, he pointed out that confidence in the Latin is uh, confide, which is uh, with faith. So confidence is with faith. Um, faith. When we read full assurance, it's almost inseparable. Every time it, it pops up in Scripture, it, it has faith along with it. So our faith, our faith is is a for sure thing. It's not just a guess or an opinion or educated uh, guess. It's it's a for sure thing. Whatever we have faith in, it's true. Okay. So in other words, we have faith in Christ because He's the truth, right? Um, Man, I feel like I rushed through that really fast. Did you, did you guys get that? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, now, moving on forward, I, I don't want to go over the time. Uh, Paul says, he ends it with this, uh, verse 7. In faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, when he says thanksgiving, he's implying something here. He's, he's, impli- he's implying that uh, when we give thanks to God, that this faith that we have that's so powerful was given by him. So all glory goes to God. So Thanksgiving, whenever he, talk, whenever he talks about Thanksgiving to God, he's implying that it's all his work, that it's his doing, it's, it's, by, it's by his grace and his mercy. And, um, and so that means we should, be, we should be humble Christians. We should not be proud. Whenever we learn things about Christ, we shouldn't walk around with our heads up in, the, up in, our, in our chest puffed up. right? We should actually be more humble than, than the world. Um, now, uh, I'm going to conclude with this. Verse 8 through 10. If I'm going too fast, guys, I'm sorry. I just, it's past 8 o'clock already. I don't want to keep you guys too late. Uh, verse 8 through 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of rule and authority. So um, if, you, if you guys want to do this on your own, I won't do it now. But if you guys read uh, verses 16 through 23, Paul just lays out all the false doctrines that are going, that are going on. He talks about how, how there's some legalism going on. People are saying you can't drink, you can't eat this. Um, uh, I can't pronounce this word. Uh, asceticism? Is that, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Asceticism. 
So, so basically what that means is that um, the more you kind of harm your body and, and keep your body from enjoyment, the more pleased God is with you. And we, and we see that today in the church too, you know, um, it, basically in legalism. We see it in legalism. So uh, he talks also about uh, different Sabbaths, different moons, and how we shouldn't be disqualified by people trying to say that, uh, oh, because you don't keep this day, you're not a Christian. So he's going to answer that later on. I won't go over it today, but um, after we're done with the apologetic series, we'll go, we'll, we will go over that. And um, but be, but because these but because these teachings are being crept into the church now, uh, Paul provides an, Paul provided the antidote. Okay, so in other words, it's like a poison that goes in the church, and now he has he has the cure, and that cure is basically Christ, the knowledge of Christ. What he just said. Oh, notice how after talking about having the knowledge of Christ and how Christ has this perfect wisdom, if you're in Christ, you have perfect wisdom and knowledge. He's uh, he's now saying. You could actually answer these arguments by that. Um, the way how you know a, a good philosophy from a bad philosophy is if it's not according to God's will, His Word. Okay. Uh, in Second Corinthians, if you guys want to go there, we're almost done, guys. Second uh, Corinthians, chapter ten. If you guys have any questions, I want to ask. You guys can ask them afterwards. I'll be more than happy to answer. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse, starting in verse 3. It says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So, what Paul just provided for us here in Colossians, this method of apologetics, I guess, so to speak, this foundation, it's going to, it could destroy any argument. And, um, and over the next several weeks, we're going to actually learn how that happens. Um, okay, so in verse 9, just, just to clo- not, not to close it, um, sorry, verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of, who, who is the head of all rule and authority. So he, he's, before, before, he goes, before he goes over the false teachings that the Colossians are dealing with, he ends it with, okay, remember who your head is. Remember who your Lord is. It's Christ. You must be satisfied in Christ. If you want to be an, an effective evangelist or apologist, you must be satisfied with Christ. Your foundation must be Christ. It's all about Christ. You know, Paul suffered. Uh, Paul suffered just so he can make just so one day, in glory, we can be made perfect in Christ. This is his motivation. Um, 